Hi everyone, once again, all the glory goes to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for having me here again. And I would like to say thanks to all the supporters. But today, the topic is, and before I start, I just want to define the terminology being used today in today's segment, which is the ecumenical movement. And when I use that phrase, it means promoting or relating to unity among the world's Christian churches. So please bear this in mind. And in addition, when I use the word ecumenical, it means or represents a number of different Christian churches. So I'm about to start today's topic and it's the nightmare of trans-denominational amalgamation, right? So we are continuing from the chapter, John chapter 17. So just please bear in mind the terminology explained earlier. So when I'm using it, you'll be able to understand what is it that I'm actually saying. So the use of John chapter 17, verse 21, as a rallying point of the ecumenical movement in its quest for achieving a united Christian church has had such a phenomenal impact upon Christendom today in so short a period of time that one wonders what shape this ecumenical miracle will finally take. Now the irony of it all is this, denominations that once preached that the days of miracles ended with the death of the last apostles or with the completion of the canon of holy scriptures have been and still are active participants in this end time ecumenical miracle. This they do, not because they now believe in miracles, but rather because they have been deluded into believing a lie since they received not the love of the truth. The end result of this chosen path is damnation. So I'm going to read the scriptures today and you can always review it on your own time. So for confirmation of that statement as the end result of this chosen path is damnation, read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 from verse 10 to 12. Now I would say what a pity. Fortunately for us, the end of this religious end time wonder has been detailed for us in Revelation chapter 13 verse 11 and Revelation chapter 17 verse 3 to 17. So from what I just said, Therefore, it is evident that the main players in this ecumenical game will not settle simply for a merger of all Christian religions into a single united church. Never. For with the one world church targets well within grasp, 
the purple quilt has already been laid. Not just to welcome late entrance of the Christian faith, but rather all religious faiths and philosophical persuasions. So proof of this is evidenced by the plateauing of Jesus Christ with Muhammad, Buddha, Bahula, and so forth. Yes, listeners, the equating of Jesus the Creator with the founders of other religions was designed to bring all religions under one heading, one world church. To this end, the interreligious organization of Trinidad and Tobago is doing a fine job. And this transreligious fraternization that is so evident in my country is surely a vivid, minuscule representation of the wider goal of the ecumenical movement. Of this, I am absolutely sure. For sooner rather than later, this seemingly innocent religious creature will be headed up by its true head, even the one which is described in Revelation chapter 13 from verses 11 to 15. Listeners, this is indeed frightening, since multitudes of well-meaning Christians and otherwise good men and women are inextricably involved in the ecumenical movement without being conscious of the fact that they are actually participating in the establishment of an end-time religious octopus, one from whose tentacles very few would escape. I know that to many of the listeners, this must sound far-fetched, and to others, it would be even ridiculous but your period of amazement would not be long for soon your speculation would give way to reality but then for many it would be too late then your only choice out will be to seal your testimony with your blood i warn you flee now while there is but little time left it's no wonder John saw an innumerable number of saints who came out of great tribulation before they made it to heaven. Read Revelation chapter 7 from verse 9 to 15. Christian brothers and sisters, please be warned. For deliverance from the great tribulation is not automatic with you being born again. Jesus certainly thought so in Luke chapter 21, verse 36. And the Apostle Paul surely believed same by his admission recorded in Philippians chapter 3, from verse 10 to 16, which hints at a level of perfection as a requirement for the rapture. Now, if you have problems with that, read Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, and Revelation chapter 3, verse 4 to 5, with respect to those that would make it. Then read Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 to 16, 
or Revelation chapter 2, verse 14 to 16, with respect to those that are disqualified. It means, therefore, that your escape is dependent upon your having taken heed to the admonition Jesus himself gave in Luke chapter 21, verse 36, which states, Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. As a consequence of the above, I warn you to extricate yourself while there is still a little time left. For if you do not, words will surely fail me to describe the fate that awaits you. You had better believe this. Beloved Christian brothers and sisters, since a nominal Christian is more prone to defend his or her denomination, rather than the teachings of Christ or the apostles, his or her allegiance to his or her religion would undoubtedly take precedence over the pure teaching of the word of God. Very soon, there will be a polarization of Christendom, those that support the world church and those against it. One thing is sure, those who are not aligned to this religious amalgamation will do well to prepare themselves for persecution. Already it is well nigh impossible for a true child of God to accept some of the practices of some denominations. How much more would it be impossible to tolerate the hedonistic impositions that the ecumenical movement now tolerates and actively propagates. Tell me now, online listeners, tell me now, brothers and sisters in the Lord, if two cannot walk together except they be agreed, how shall all these diverse faiths with contradictory practices unite? It is indeed baffling, to say the least. It would appear, though, that the deep desire to survive is providing the needed impetus for unity. That being the case, the key word in this religious scenario is compromise. And the spiritual fallout is that the fundamentals of our holy Christian faith are being sanctimoniously sacrificed upon the altar of survival expediency. Moreover, it is an open secret that the majority of Earth's nations have embarked upon this economic titanic that is planet Earth, which has already struck this, the disastrous iceberg. Therefore, survival instincts more than anything else will provide the necessary motivation for this soon-to-be-consuminated marriage of convenience. Christian brothers and sisters, one cannot help but notice that all the clamor for religious union is centered around a so-called love. But not one whisper is heard about the unity of the faith, the body of truth. To be sure, Christian brothers and sisters, the much sought after unity is not a God-oriented one. Rather, it is a union that has its roots firmly entrenched 
in the fear of extinction. And when fear is the chief motivating factor in any situation, man becomes desperate. Saints of God, please be warned. Seek the face of God as never before. I repeat, seek the face of God as never before. Read, study, meditate, and obey the word of God as never before. For there is one bound to be a polarization in Christendom. Those that have and cherish their heavenly citizenship and those who are playing for what they see. And sooner rather than later, tolerance shall surely give way to unbridled suspicion. Harassment, then persecution. Now you do not have to believe this, for soon you will experience it. My humble prayer is that you prepare for it. And time saints, who would have thought a century ago that a super world church was possible? Very few would have entertained such religious absurdity. But today, it is not just a possibility. It is an inevitable eventuality. Imagine, Christian brothers and sisters, that less than 50 years ago, the motto of the first ecumenical assembly held in Holland was one world, one church. And it would not be strange if I predict that in the near future, there will be a world assembly of different faiths with a theme that runs something like this. One goal, one fall. When this happens, make sure you are in balcony, I mean heaven, and not in pits. I mean earth. Saints of God, flee this religious octopus while there is yet very little time left. Return to the rock from whence you were hewn and build upon the rock. That means obey Jesus' teachings if you wish to escape. Christian brothers and sisters, a union that is rooted in a desire to survive rather than the desire to obey God's word is a babylic desire that must culminate in eternal disaster. Christian brothers and sisters, do I run the risk of being repetitious? I must remind you that the only escape apart from death that has been promised to the believer is to depart this planet via the rapture. Neither is it your escape automatic with you being born again. For Jesus told John in Revelation chapter 3 verse 10, the following to his addition to his warning in Luke chapter 21 verse 36, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep you from the hour of temptation the great tribulation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Please read Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. And time saints, if two cannot walk together except they be agreed 
How shall all those with a multiplicity of different beliefs and opposite opinions genuinely unite? It is an impossible task. Except, of course, there is a willingness on the part of the participants to compromise. And what an awful price it is to pay for a religious truce that is the harbinger to eternal disaster. Please read Revelation chapter 17, verse 15 to 18. Christian brothers and sisters, Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, verse 1 to 26 was not a passionate plea for Christians to unite at all costs. Never. Jesus was careful to state that the adherence to his teachings by his followers would be the reason for their being hated by the world. Read John 17 verse 14. Moreover, to make sure that his prayer was not used as a cement to bond all the people of the world together, he said this, I pray for them, his followers. I pray not for the world, the unregenerate, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Read John 17 verse 9 for yourselves. From what I just said, Christian brothers and sisters, it must be evident that Jesus had no plans for any marriage of convenience between his church and the world. And neither did he cater for a transfect amalgamation. Evidence supported of this statement is gleaned from his teachings when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Read John 14, verse 6. And time saints, not only has Jesus declared himself to be the way to the Father, but he has also declared himself to be the truth of the Father and the very life of the Father. Read Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. If in doubt, Christian brothers and sisters, Let's set forth Christ today as the only way to God and not one of the ways to God as is being banded about today. Because of this fact, the Apostle Paul was inspired by God to write the following. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and then to the Greeks, meaning us, the Gentiles. Read Romans chapter 1, verse 17. This being so, Christian brothers and sisters, it is evident that true Christianity is a separate entity and must not become a component of a worldwide religious confraternity. And what are some of the reasons for the creation of this end-time religious monstrosity? I humbly suggest that it is a fear of isolation, rejection, and persecution that is providing the stimulus for nominal Christendom to form this alliance with other religious persuasions. But it is not written that the fear of man bringeth a snare, and shall not that which they are afraid of come upon them someday. Of course it would, for in Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, 5, and 8, the eulogy of this end-time religious abomination is already written and included in this eulogy 
It is a warning for God's people to distance themselves from it. In this regard, the following has eternal implication for every believer who is already involved in this entire movement. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God had remembered her iniquities. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth us. Judgeth her. Read Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, 5, and 8 for yourselves. It is written... And thus shall it be done. Christian friends, your only hope now is to flee. This is a warning. It is not simply from me, but may well be the final warning from Jehovah to thee. So flee. It is my honest plea to thee. Now this is the end of my segment today. I will be live next week, Tuesday at 11.30 a.m. So thanks again, and do have a safe and productive week.